judges how when God came to when God came to sent he sent the Lord sent went to uh, visit Gideon and he said the Lord is with you mighty man of valor and this was a man who was hiding from from the Midianites who had taken over the country. And you look at a man like that, and you say, well, how is this a mighty man of valor? And we begin to understand something about God as we look through the story. And God called him a mighty man of valor, not because that's why where he was at that time, but that's who he was going to become. It says in the book of Romans that God calls things that are not as though they were. God sees the not only the big picture, but he sees the future. And so it's a very important thing to understand about God. So in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul is anointed king, and he is to, and now Samuel is going to reveal him to all of Israel. And listen to the words of Samuel. In verse 23. So they ran and brought him from there. Is everybody there? First yeah. Samuel 10, 23. <clears throat> so they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the other people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. And so all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. The first king that God chose was a man who was, he was taller than anybody else. He was a big, strong man. The people only came up, to, everybody else only came up to his shoulder, it says. That's how tall he was. So he was a big, strong man. He was a warrior. And, and he was known later as a great warrior. And so this is the first man that God chooses. And you see what Samuel says about him. And so he goes, look, look at the guy God, look at the guy God chose. He's taller by, you know, he's a head taller than everybody. Everybody only comes up to his shoulder. He's a big man. He's going to lead us to battle. And so it was aesthetically pleasing. He was physically, uh, as physical specimen, so to speak. But over the course of time, we know the story that God rejected Saul as being king over Israel. And so, the Lord said he wanted to choose a man that was after his own heart. And so we go later, in the chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16, Beginning in verse 1. First Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16.1 Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? 
Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I provided myself a king from among his sons. So one of his sons is going to be king, Jesse's sons. Verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Are you coming peacefully? And he said, Peacefully. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Jesse's sons were invited to the sacrifice. <clears throat> Verse 6, So it was when they came and that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Well, listen to what God says in response to what Samuel Samuel looked at him, and he's making the same judgment he made for King Saul. You know, look how big this guy is. This another physical specimen. Surely this is the next king. Jesse's oldest son. Verse 7, But the Lord said to him, Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have rejected him. So he had what Saul had, apparently. He had, had stature and size, physical size and appearance. He was another impressive looking man. But he says, I've rejected him. He says, Be, it says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And so the first man that God chose to be king was a man of great physical stature. And the next man was not going to be a man of great physical stature. And, and so as we continue on, in verse 8, So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass through before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chose this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. So all of Jesse's sons were invited. But yet David was of the last of the litter, so to speak. He was the youngest. And he wasn't even thought enough of to be invited to the sacrifice that Samuel, that uh, Jesse's sons were invited to. They didn't even think to invite him. And so he comes. He's, he's watching the sheep. He comes. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Verse 12, so... He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So the difference between David his brothers, we don't know, except that it says that God was choosing a man after his own heart. 
So he took the eight brothers and he looked at the hearts of the eight brothers and he chose the youngest and the least, uh, you know, honored amongst the brothers, brothers, the sons of Jesse. And God chose him because God was looking for a man after his heart. And so he's anointed in front of all of his older brothers to be king of Israel. And I'm sure that didn't go well with his brothers. We know that later, uh, when David was a uh, king, that whole story of David and Goliath, that his brother came and rebuked him and, and, and uh, said he was full of pride and all this other stuff and was, was harsh with them for no apparent reason. So, the Lord does not see as man sees. But the thing is, is that even though the Lord does not see as we do, part of God's plan in helping us to grow up as a Christian and to be following Him is to begin to see as He does. The Bible says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To see as God sees, and not to look at things the way we naturally would look at them. When we see waves coming into a boat, you got 12 men who see things one way, and Jesus looks at it and says, where's your faith? He looks at the whole situation completely different. And we have to see situations the way God sees them. Moses said to God, don't send me. I'm slow of speech. I'm this, I'm that. And God says to Moses, I'll be with you. Go, I'll be with you. <clears throat> Gideon says, I'm the youngest of my father's sons, same as David. Gideon was the youngest of his father's sons. And there's a reason why God does things that way. So that he can be glorified in his power. And he himself can be exalted in our life. And in the lives of our people. And God says to Gideon, go, because I'm going to be with you. When God sent Ananias to lay hands on Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament to, to heal him of his blindness, God says, go, for he's praying and to be healed and everything. And I was like, whoa, Lord, this guy's done a lot of damage, so he's hurt a lot of Christians. He's put them in jail. He's, he's had someone put to death. And the Lord said to him, go. He says, I have chosen him. He's going to be my chosen vessel. And I will show him how many things he will suffer for my namesake. God did not see him as the, the horrible man that he was at that time. God saw him for what he was going to make him and what he was going to do. And so what God was going to do, Moses couldn't see, but he went. Gideon couldn't understand, but he went. And so each of us are told to trust God to trust his word and 
We don't, and, and to trust Him when we pray. And honestly, there's some things that I pray about, I don't know how in the world God's going to do that. Because they look totally impossible. But, as the angel said, with God nothing shall be impossible. Because the angel was looking at it the way God looks at it. The angel knew. He knew how to look at it. We have to look at things that way too. The things that God has said, to look at them that way. The next one would be in Second Kings. Second Kings six. I think Dave referred to this a few weeks ago. Somewhere along the line. Somebody did. Second Kings six eight. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. And thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of you, which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None of my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go, and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent, and cha- he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Alas. <laughs> what shall we do? And so he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha was looking at it the way God does. Now, I don't know if he actually saw those horses and chariots, but he knew. He knew God was with him, and that God's hand was upon him. And he said, don't be afraid. He's like, don't, don't fear. There's more on our side than on their side. And boy, are they a lot more powerful. And so God opened the eyes of, uh, of uh, God's opened up his eyes that he might see. And when he says see, he doesn't mean just see, because he, he wasn't blind physically. But they're seeing with our eyes, and then they're seeing the way God sees. 
You can see physically, but be blind spiritually. But we have to see spiritually, to see the way God sees things, to look at things the way God looks at them, to think the way God thinks of things. The Holy, that's the way the Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us, to look at things His way, not our way, not our natural way, to look at things His way. And the people fear naturally for their health, for their safety, for their life, that their needs will be taken care of. Those are things that are normal and natural to fear. And God says, you got to see the way I do. Because I don't see things the way you do. He doesn't see things the way we do naturally. He sees things the way he does because he's God. But he's calling us on board to see things the way he does. Not with our eyes, but through the eyes of faith. Now the statement in the world, and is sometimes used in the church, is blind faith. And blind faith is not what the, the Christian life is about. The Christian life is, is a seeing faith. Seeing through the eyes of the Spirit. Seeing things the way God does. Seeing in God's Word, and that God's Word is trustworthy, that when we hear it, God's going to stand by it. We see these things. We didn't see God make the world, but we see it by faith. We see through the eyes of faith God's handiwork throughout nature. We see the evidence of God, and not only in nature, but in the world we live in. And the things He has said in His Word. We see God in those ways. We perceive him through the eyes of faith. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Last week we read Paul pretty much praying the same thing in the book of Colossians and in the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> praying that God would open the eyes of our understanding. that we read that last week and here we have it again God opened his eyes and this was not a man who was physically blind but he was spiritually blind so God opened his eyes to see through the eyes see things the way he did and the eyes of the young man opened and he, and he saw the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, we say, well, there's nothing in the Bible that says that that's surrounding us. The Bible says this. That angels are flaming spirits. Ministers, that means servants, sent to minister to serve those who will inherit salvation. We have angels watching over us and are biased to minister, to help us, to be our helper. We have the Holy Spirit as a helper. God within us, Colossians 
we read last week, the mystery that was hidden from times past. God in us, the hope of glory. That mystery has been revealed to us. We should embrace it as part of our everyday life. God is with us. Rejoice. God is with us. He's only with us. He's living in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. To trust what God is saying. To see what God is saying through the eyes of faith. Not to harden our hearts to these things. <clears throat> the next one is in Numbers 23, backwards, to, towards the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible. Numbers 23, 19. From the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. The fourth, the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers 23. Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? In other words, is God's word good? Is, is, won't he make good for his word, whatever he said? Won't he? And that's the question that he puts out. God is not a man. And so he's not going to think like a man, and he doesn't see like a man. God does not see as man sees, the Lord told Sam, uh, Samuel the prophet. Because he doesn't see because he's like a man because he's not a man. And when we become God's children, he gives us opportunity to begin to see things the way God sees them. And he says, has he said and won't he do it? God has inspired his word. And every every jot and tittle of his word Jesus said will not will not pass away until it is all is fulfilled every word that God has spoken will be fulfilled without fail not one word of what God has spoken in the scriptures will fail and has God not has God spoken and won't he make good on it if God says that he'll take care of us. Won't he make good? Won't he stand behind that? Won't he make good for that? If he says, ask and you shall receive, you pray the prayer of faith, will you not receive? Didn't he say that? Of course he did. So this becomes again, as we've spoken before, about a matter of God's integrity. If God says that there's life after death, I am the resurrection of the life, the words of Jesus. He who believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. 
And as John said today, before the meeting, I, I haven't died yet. So he hasn't seen eternal life. No. But we believe in eternal life because Jesus said it. And we, and we believe in him as the Son of God. And if he said it, won't he make good on it? And so that's why we believe in the things that are in here because we believe that what God said Will he not do it? Hasn't he spoken? Will he not make good on it? Of course he will. So the last one I have is in uh, Romans 4. And I referred to this, one of the verses in Romans 4 earlier. Book of Romans, chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts, Romans. You know what? Yeah, Romans 4. Verse 16. Dave, could you read uh, verses 16 to 22? Sure. <clears throat> Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. God made a promise to Abraham and said, I have made you a father of many nations. <clears throat> think about, try to think about what he's saying here and look a little deeper. I have made you the father of many nations. God called things <clears throat> that are not as though they were. When God said that, that I have made you a father of many nations, Abraham didn't have one single child. Not one. But God said already, he said, I have made you a father of many nations. God called things that were not as though they were. Because God was speaking through the vision of what he saw in the future. 
This is what I have made you. It's already settled. I have made you this. Because God knew. And it says, in verse 18, it says, God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And that's why he said, I have made you the father of many nations. Because it hadn't happened yet. But he was saying as though, as though, you know, as though it already was so. As though they did exist. And then he says about Abraham, contrary to who and who believed, so that he became the father of many nations. God had made him the father of many nations, but he became, then he, then he became the father of many nations through faith in what God had said. It says in verse 18, who contrary to hope and hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. And it says in verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He was 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't waver in the promise of God through unbelief. You know, I read the book story of Abraham, and I don't see that right away. <laughs> you know, from the, the beginning of God's dealings with Abraham, you do see some wavering and struggling. You do see him considering how old he was. It came out of his mouth. You know, how old he was and how Sarah, and Sarah the same thing. Sarah too. They both, they both were, you know, like, but it was something that says, but was strengthened in faith. He became strengthened in faith. And it says, in verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he has promised, he was able to perform. Mm -hmm. He became convinced. He believed God at the beginning, but then there was the trial. And you could see that there was times where he was struggling. But by time it came around, he was strengthened in faith. He became strong in faith. He grew. In other words, the saying is, he grew in faith. <clears throat> and that was accounted to him for righteousness, his believing God. So I actually, I had one more. It was actually uh, in Hebrews 6. I forgot I had one more. Let's see. Hebrews 6, 11. Six eleven, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish or lazy. It's all about being spiritually lazy or sluggish, but imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, God swore by himself saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured for 25 years, he received the promise. The fact is, is that sometimes 
takes a while. And so because of that, because of that, you have to patiently endure. And it goes on to say, for indeed men swear by the greater and an oath confirm, for confirmation is for them an end of the dispute. So thus God determines showing more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel and confirmed it by an oath that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to take hold of the hope set before us. And it says this hope we have as an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast. What is he talking about? The two things that we have strong hope what are the two things that he says here that God has given to us by which we can have strong hope? Number one, says, is the unchangeableness of God's counsel, of God's word. And secondly, he swore by an oath and says that God doesn't lie. God is not a man that he should lie. We just read that in Numbers. Here it is again. So since God doesn't lie, whatever he says, we can hang our hat on. And we can give us strong hope. It says that we might have strong consolation through these two things. For who we have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope before us. And this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. To keep us from being blown off course. We have an anchor that cannot be moved. Steadfast and sure. The anchor is Christ. The anchor is the thing that God promised. And he swore. And so God swore... Concerning Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's mentioned in chapter 5. And so, God took an oath here. It says in verse 20, actually. The, the verse, chapter 6, verse 20. Surely blessing God swore by himself. He swore by himself because he could not swear by anybody greater. <clears throat> he swore by himself because he could swear by nobody greater. And he swore, surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Why don't people, why don't some people receive the promises of God? They lose heart. And that's why. Very simply, they lose heart. And they give up. 
and they don't stand and continue and patiently endure. And so it says that Abraham, after he patiently endured, inherited the promises. It says that Abraham is the father of faith and the father of those who believe God. God made a promise by himself because he could swear by no one greater. So he swore by an oath and he gave us his word. When we look at the scriptures, the Bible, we've got to look at it the way God's telling us to look at it. We've got to see it the way God sees it. That this is unchangeable. Jesus' return is written in stone. The signs of the times are real. The salvation that God has provided is unchangeable. And there is no other way. And there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And He is our hope. And He is our helper. And He is a refuge in the time of storm. And when we're going through our storms, and our storms happen often, and we are in the midst of different storms now, and as we're through different storms and different needs and different trials and different temptations, remember, we have a refuge and a strong hope. Because God has given us His Word. And God has spoken. Shall we not do it? He has said it. Won't He stand by it? He will. Any brothers want to comment on this or anything else? You want to say that 15 minutes yet? Tonight I'd like to start by looking in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Samuel chapter 14 beginning verse 1 now it happened one day that Jonathan son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor come let us go over to the Philistine camp that is on the other side but he did not tell his father and Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in the Migron and they were with him about 600 men and Ahijah, son of Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. 
And between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine camp, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. We have the name of the rocks there. Verse 5, the front of one faced northward toward Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. <clears throat> then Jonathan <clears throat> said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison or the camp of the Philistines uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by, by few. <clears throat> so his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your heart. Before we go any further in this story, and we've read this story many times, and I love this story. There's so much you can get out of it. And one of the things that you notice here is that Saul's at Gibeah. That's where he's from. That's his hometown, Gibeah. And he's there with 600 men. <clears throat> and <clears throat> then Jonathan and his armor, says to his armor, let's go. And uh, over to the Philistine camp. And he said, well, here's a whole group of people staying at home, a whole army is at home, and only two men venture forth in faith. And you see that this is a lot bigger than taking on big armies and things like this. This is about the life that God has called to, the life of faith, to walk by faith. And when we walk by faith, it means we're not walking by what we see. Why were, the, why were the rest of the people back over at Saul's house, at his, his, fat, his home? They were afraid. They were living in, they were in fear. And this says that some of them were actually hiding in holes in the ground. And some of them actually had defected over to the Philistines because they had no faith. And the thing that stands out when you listen to this story is something that Jonathan says. He says, Come, let us come out, go over to the camp of the uncircumcised. And so, well, you know, it's just talking about that what's that have to do with it? It's talking about the covenant that God the circumcision is a covenant that God <clears throat> made with Abraham. And the blessings that come with the covenant. And God told uh, God told Joshua, no one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. There are great promises with with, with following the Lord. Great promises. But people are afraid to walk in them. Well, you see, Jonathan sees that and he says, these are the uncircumcised. God is not with them. God is with us. We are the circumcised. We are the people of God. They are not the people of God. So, let's go over there. There is great privilege to those of us who are the children of God. We are not 
the people of the world for in Christ we're the people of God and with that comes blessing and favor and grace and mercy and promises that the uncircumcised those who are not in the covenant do not have and so while everybody's afraid of these Philistines the uncircumcised Jonathan says to his armor bearer come on let's go we are the circumcision. He says, we are under, we are in covenant with God. They're not. They're worshiping false gods. They are worshiping demons. They're under Satan's control. God is for us. Who can be against us? So, and his armor bearer, he, he wasn't going to argue with him. He says, do all that's in your heart. Go. I'm, I'm with you according to your heart. He goes, I agree with you. Let's go. Because what he says is, <clears throat> For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And the armor bearer agrees with him because Jonathan speaks according to the word of God. And the armor bearer says, yes, that's right. I'm with you. You know, he says, I am with you according to your heart. Let's go. And so he goes. And so God puts it in Jonathan's heart to say, well, we're going to go up there. We're going to cross over and show ourselves to them. If they say, in verse 9, wait till we come down to you, then we'll stay here. And he says in verse 10, but if they say, come up to us, then we'll go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So this is kind of like Gideon putting out the fleece a little bit, you know? So this is what we're going to do. You know, we're going, to, we're going to show ourselves. We're going to climb up this cliff. And he says, and we're going to show them stuff so they can see us. And if they say, stay there, we're going to come down to you, well, then we'll just stand our ground. He says, if they tell us to come up, he says, that's going to be a sign that God has given them into our hands. And so, of course, what happens is, in verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the camp of the Philistines. <coughs> And the Philistines say, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes which they have hidden. So it's another testimony where most of Israel was at the time. They were in hiding. And the Philistines knew it. They were afraid of them. Oh, these guys came out of hiding. Look. Verse 12, Then the men of the garrison of the camp called to Jonathan and his arm bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. <clears throat> and Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And so you see that this man's faith is not in himself. This man's faith is not in his own strength, in his own swordmanship, in, 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 his, in the power of him and his armor bearer. It is not in his own strength. His faith is in the power of God. There's no logic to what Jonathan is saying. There's no human wisdom in what Jonathan was saying. He is completely outnumbered. There's thousands of people in this camp of the Philistines, thousands of soldiers, and two of them. There's nothing logical or common sense or sensible about this. This is beyond all that. This is faith. And God is with us. He's, he he knows that God is with them. Men of God that we have read about many times 
they see the same thing. They have a vision that others don't see. They see something. They have a spiritual sense, a sixth sense, a spiritual sense. A sense that the natural man does not have. A spiritual sense. And they understand that if God be for us, who can be against us? And this is not, we're not talking just about personal safety here or any of those kinds of things. It's much, much bigger than that. Although it includes committing our safety to the Lord. It means that we're going to stand in faith for all the things that are our problems for ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, all the things that we're confronted with on our job, in our society, the dangers in our society, the problems in our neighborhood, all the different things that are going on in marriages, you know, all the different things, the desires and needs and helps that we are looking for. Are we taking that step forward in faith? If we are, there's a way we can tell. The Bible says we enter God's rest by faith. If we have entered, if we are walking in faith, there's going to be rest in our soul. There's going to be peace in our soul. That's one of the evidences of it. You don't see Jonathan shaking in his boots or his armor bare. Why? They see something that the rest of the 600 men saw and the rest of the men don't see. And they're sitting back there, shaking in their boots, trembling. Hmm. Verse 13 and Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. As he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was twenty men in about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among all the people. And the camp and the raiders also trembled. And the earth shook. So there is a very great trembling. So God worked with them. God confirmed his word and began to exhibit it and to unleash his power in response to the faith of these two men. And of course, it turns into it turns into a uh, into a mass confusion in the camp of the Philistines. In verse 16, Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away. And they went here and there. There was confusion in the camp of the Philistines. Saul and his men saw it. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not then there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest, 
that the noise which is in the camp of the Philistines continue to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people that were with him assembled, and they went to battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. So what happened was, of course, and we've seen this in other stories where God turned armies against themselves. They were fight the Philistines were fighting themselves. They there was such confusion, they were killing each other. Uh, you know, God, the power of God can do, you know, things beyond our understanding. And, and so now, uh, it says, all of the, the army of, the Philist- of uh, Saul and his men are gathered together, assembled together. In verse 21, also the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites with Jonathan and Saul. So those Israelites who had defected and gone over and were working with the Philistines against their own countrymen, now they turn against the Philistines. I said, oh, that's... Is that faith? It's not. It's not faith. They were working for the other team. It's not faith. But they saw. They saw God at work. And so they were encouraged to go back and help their countrymen. And also it says in verse 22, Likewise all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. Is that faith? No. They heard. It says, it says that they heard. Hearing and seeing is not faith. They saw the great confusion and they saw the Israelites were, were defeating uh, Philistines. And so that encouraged them. And that's good that they did that. I'm not saying they were wrong for doing that. But it wasn't an act of faith. And Jonathan and the armor bearer, that was the act of faith. They didn't see God the power of God at work. They took the step of faith and then they saw the power of God. The others, they saw the Philistines on the run and they saw God working with them then. Then they joined in. Not before that. Seeing is not faith. Hearing is not faith. In verse 23, So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth Aven. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So no people tasted food. So now <laughs> Saul speaking big words. Once he sees the Philistines on the run, on the run, he says 
Nobody eats any food today until we've wiped, until we've hammered these Philistines. Now he's full of he's full of courage and bravery, but that's not faith. And the one thing we have to learn is that faith is about what we don't see. It's what we are hoping for hasn't happened yet that we don't see the evidence of things not seen and so in this story here and this is a great story we see two men responding in faith and then everybody joined in later and they found their faith but two men saw it when it looked hopeless to everybody else. And they took that step. We don't need all these other guys that are afraid. There's 598. It's us two who deliver. God doesn't need all them to deliver. So faith is believing on the Lord for things that we don't see. And I want to talk about the word faith for a few minutes. Dave referred to it a few weeks ago about the definition of faith. And I'm going to go into the Gospel of John and a, familiar, a few familiar passages from the Gospel of John. We'll start with John 3.16. If any brothers want to comment at any point, just stop me wherever I am here. John 3.16 You've all heard it. And for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth or believes on Him will not perish but have eternal life. And so I want to examine what the word believe means from the Greek that it's translated from. It is from the word pistion from the Greek. It means, to believe means to have faith in, to entrust one's spiritual well-being, to commit, to put trust in, or to firmly adhere to. The word adhere is where they get the word adhesive, to stick. Like glue is an adhesive. To firmly adhere to. And <clears throat> Jesus is telling us we must believe on him, not just about him. And this is where many people fail. Believing about him can be very much easy believism, just believing some facts about Jesus. But believing on Him, committing yourself, committing and putting your trust for your well-being, for your for the well for your well-being, for your future, for your eternal soul, putting your you're committing yourself to Him for all of that, and for what He said. You're putting all your chips in 
And you're sticking to this. We're sticking to him. We're entrusting our self, our well-being to him. Both spiritual and physical well-being to him. It says that Jesus in Philippians chapter 3, two or chapter 2, I believe it is, he says, Jesus, when he was beaten, did not retaliate, but committed himself to the Father. Committing ourselves to the Lord. Committing our whole life to him. The word commit has the word means the word commitment comes from the word commit. You're making a commitment when you when you're believing on him. You're making a commitment to him. That I'm gonna trust you for my life. I'm gonna trust you for my soul. I'm gonna trust you for what you did on the cross is the forgiveness of my sin. Believing on. Many people will be like Saul in the, in the camp of the, the army of the, of the Israelites. They just stay back there. They're not willing to go forward and commit themselves and, and take steps of faith and enter God's rest for their problems. Let's read a few more of them. John 5, 24. These are ones that we refer to often. John 5, 24. Surely I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. It's already settled. Has everlasting life has passed. Passed is past tense. The word past with the E-V on the end of it is past tense. It's already happened to those who have believed in Him. Has everlasting life. Has passed. From, has, shall not come to judgment. Has passed from death into life. We will not be judged by God. but has path from death into life, believing in Him. Not just about Him, but believing in Him. The Greek word is not talking about a mental belief about certain facts about a certain person. This is a much deeper word, talking about believing in somebody. You can believe about somebody without believing in them. So what does that mean? We can believe in a presidential candidate, but we don't believe in him. We don't believe what he stands for. We, we may believe that that person exists, but we don't believe in what that person stands for. We don't believe we can trust that person. We don't believe he's going to lead us in the right direction. Blah, blah, blah. You know how the pol pol political machine goes. That's just an example. But you can believe about somebody, but not believe in them. Or you are putting your, your 
yourself in their hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people they get so hyped in politics, and they put them they they put themselves in the hands of the person that they vote for. God forbid. <laughs> but we put ourselves in the hands of God because He's worthy of that kind of trust. We believe in Him, not just about Him. We believe in Him for our life. This may sound to some like a little bit of double talk, but if you think carefully about it, the difference between believing about somebody and believing in them. When you believe in them, you're putting your trust for your life and your problems and and your burdens, you're putting your trust in the Lord for all those things. Why? Because those who believe in Him have entered into a covenant with Him. We go back to the story of Jonathan in the Old Testament that we read. Jonathan said, let's go over to the camp of the uncircumcised. Those who are not in covenant with God. And he's recognizing that. Hey, me and you, we're in covenant with God. God is on our side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter that they got a lot more of them than us. It's the recognition of the covenant that spurred Jonathan on. The word of God that spurred Jonathan on. The promise that if we walk with the Lord, no one would be able to stand before them all the days of their life. That was the, a promise of the first covenant. Whereas we have a second covenant, a new covenant, which the Christians walk in, which is made through the blood of Christ. The first covenant was through the blood of bulls and, and, and lambs and sheep. The second covenant is the blood of God's Son. And we are in that covenant, those of us who are in Christ. And because we're in that covenant, we can have faith in the covenant that God made with us. That covenant is not with the devil. That covenant is not with the people of the world. That covenant is not with those who walk in the flesh, who profess Christ. That covenant is with those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and there are special privileges and promises to those who are in covenant and they're in Christ. And that's why we can recognize that and we can put our trust in Him. Not around Him, not about Him, in Him. I'm taking all my chips and I'm pushing them forward on the table. I'm putting my trust for my life, for my safety, for my, my, my loved ones, but praying for my loved ones and all the things that I hope for, all the burdens of my heart and my life, all the things I'm challenged with, and I'm putting my trust in Him. And what happens? We have boldness. We have peace. We have hope. Have a rejoicing heart. God is with me. The same chapter. <coughs> Continue on. 
Most surely I say to you, verse 25, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. You say, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just read where it said to those who believe in him would not perish and have eternal life? And those who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come unto judgment but has passed from death to life. Didn't we just read that? And now he's saying those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection condemnation. On the surface it would almost seem like a contradiction, but it's not. Because to those who believe on him and believe in him, if we are in Christ, the Bible says we have a changed life, a new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. When we believe in him, we believe on him it does something on the inside of us it changes us on the inside Jesus said we become born again born of the spirit born of water in the spirit as he was talking about in John 3 earlier before John 3 16 it changes a person when they put their trust in him when they believe in him when they adhere to him, when they commit themselves to him, they put their trust in him. It changes a man or woman. It changes them, boy or girl. It changes them. And they live differently because they're led by the Spirit. And they hear Jesus' voice another voice they will not follow. Just a couple more. John chapter um, 8. further in, uh, enforce or not enforce uh, support that enforce that uh, further support that we go to John chapter um, I say it's chapter 7 John 7 37 On the last day, that, that great day 
for the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, and all this stuff we read in that different definition, they put their faith in him, they put, they put their trust for their life in him, they put their life in his hands, they adhere to him, they put their trust in him. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, or his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. You see? That's where the changed life comes in. Believing in him creates that change. The new man, the new creation. The receiving of the Holy Spirit. God puts His Holy Spirit in us to live inside of us. He get, it's a new nature, His nature that He puts in us. And He leads and guides and teaches us. Because we believe in Him. And we believe on Him. Not just about Him. You see, believing in somebody is personal. In Christendom, they talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And indeed, that's exactly what it is. Believing in somebody means you're putting your trust for your life and your salvation, your soul, everything. You're putting your trust in that person. That's personal. That's one-on-one. That's personal. This is between me and God. Me and the Lord Jesus Christ. And him putting his spirit inside of me to change me on the inside? Sure. That is being born of the spirit. And how does it happen? Through believing on him. And the responses he leads us to as we believe on him. And then we bear the good fruit as we walk in the spirit. And that's why it says... To those who've done good, you know, eternal life. Those who have done evil to judgment. Because we can't bear the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. And we can't receive the Holy Spirit unless we believe in Him and on Him. And that's where it excludes people just being a good person, excludes people of other religions, excludes all those other things. Because we must believe in the blood of Christ. For our salvation, we must believe on Jesus for our problem, put our trust in Him for our eternal well being, our spiritual well being, our emotional well being, our mental well being. Takes it all in. We put our trust in Him for our life. What happened to Jonathan? When Goliath showed up. You ever think of that? Because after David killed Goliath, one of the first people to meet him and give all his armor, give his armor to him and, and love on him was Jonathan. 
You'll say, well, aren't you being a little hard on Jonathan? No, it's just, it's just a question that comes into my mind. Well, faith is a fight. And that's what one of the functions of the church, the Bible says, to encourage one another daily. It says that Jonathan and David, their hearts were knit after that together. Because Jonathan saw in David something that was in him, that he had experienced, walking by faith in the power of God. And a church fellowship is meant to be a brotherhood where we encourage one another daily, encourage, lift each other up. In, not just in prayer, but to encourage one another. Encourage one another's faith, because some days maybe this brother's faith is going to be better than mine, and other days other's faith, my faith is going to be stronger than his. And I'm going to be, you know, ready to take on giants that he's back in the camp, shaking his boots. We've got to encourage one another, lift each other up. That's what fellowship is about. It's one of the big things that it's about. Is to to encourage one another to faith and good works, it says in Hebrews. And that's the responsibility of every Christian in every fellowship, to encourage one another, to build each other up. Edify is the word in King James. To edify one another, build each other up. It's not just the job of the preacher, it's the job of every brother and sister in the Lord. Because your faith may be up there, another's faith may be down here, other ones may be over here to lift each other up, to love, to love and good works and to walk by faith. A few other thoughts before I close. Like I said, if any brothers want to stop me, anyone just stop me. If the Son makes you free, Jesus said, you'll be free indeed. The word free means to liberate. Made free means to be liberated. Exempt, delivered, at liberty, not a slave, unrestrained. Jesus has set us free from sin. He set us free from bondage to the flesh. He has set us free from bondage to Satan. If he has set us free, we are free. And we have we must walk in the liberty of Christ. <clears throat> Jesus said, He who follows me will not be in darkness. What does it mean to follow somebody? It means to go the same way with, according to the Greek word. To accompany. To go in the same direction. Oh, very simple. And one more, on a form, from a former point from John 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I am the resurrection of the life. Jesus said this right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. <clears throat> I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so, 
the main point of tonight's what I what I've shared tonight from the, from the Word has been what the word believe really means. There is certain people in Christian when that means yes, I believe those certain facts about Jesus, but it never affects their life. Why is that? Because they believe certain facts about him. They don't believe in him. They don't believe on him. They have not put their hope, their faith, their trust in him for their life. 